Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin today by asking, uh, what makes marriage work? Um, Google searched what makes marriage work, and the first hit that I found was an article from the Houston Family Magazine, uh, and they interviewed 15, 6 to 10-year-old boys and girls, uh, asking them questions about marriage. So one boy, Ricky, age 10, was asked, what makes marriage work? And his cute answer was, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. (laughs) One girl, Anita, age nine, was asked, is it better to be single or married? Her answer, well, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them, right? And all the moms say, God bless her soul, right? Looked at one way, these answers are cute. Looked at another way, one wonders what example of marriage and family life has been modeled for better or worse to these kids for them to produce the answers they did. The Christian vision of marriage on one hand, it's very simple. And it's this, that Christ's work makes marriage work ultimately. It's Christ's work that will bring out the most fulfilling experience of marriage on earth, but also have the blessing and the joy of the fruit of marriage the goodness of marriage, all the hard work that was put toward marriage to last into eternity, to glorify God for eternity. That's the simple secret to making marriage work, that Christ's work would marriage work, that it would be built on and be an overflow of Jesus's perfect work for us. So similarly, on one hand, then the, the Christian life, just to take a step backward, it's, it's simple. It's not meant to be complicated in some sense. It's about placing our faith in Jesus and his one perfect work through the cross that God vindicates through the resurrection by raising him from the dead, validating Jesus's one perfect work, and then overflowing a spirit-filled, living, vibrant faith into good works that are in line with scripture to build up Christ's church and to continue to proclaim the good news of Christ's imminent eternal kingdom. So genuine faith, it's simple as James says in his letter, it's faith overflowing into spirit-inspired good works, faith and works. So that said, I had a bit of an aha moment this week during my sermon prep, and what I want to make a priority in in my sermons uh, intentionally, I think I've been doing it implicitly all along, but for myself intentionally uh, moving forward is to do my best to always leave you with a clear aspect of our faith in Christ, how we're meant to be uh, having faith in Jesus, and how that faith is meant to overflow into good works because of Christ. Faith and works, the Christian life, and all by grace. So it's my prayer today, the faith part of it, is that our hearts might cry out to God by faith, and I've been doing this, Um, So this part isn't different, but that our hearts might cry out to God by faith in response to today's scripture with words like, Lord, open the eyes of my heart to rejoice in Jesus's redemption of manhood. And that's a faith thing, to see Jesus 
and to believe that he is the epitome. He's the, the height, the, the beauty of God redeeming manhood. And just believing in that, rejoicing in that, worshiping him for that. That's faith. And that takes faith to trust that Jesus really is who he says he is, and that he really is the epitome of God redeeming humanity and especially manhood. That God has indeed created man in his image, male and female, that he created them. And so meaning for people born biologically men, we're to pursue our identity as a man by way of having the male image redeemed in us and restored by way of Jesus and his grace. That takes faith. Say, I'm going to look at Jesus and he's my model. Faith that says, Spirit, keep changing my heart. Be inspired by Jesus' example of manhood pursue grace and truth in him. And so not even so much as our culture says to be a man's man, but our culture also says to be a lady's man, but to be God's man modeled after Jesus our Christ. So that's the faith part. How about good works? What good work can we overflow in response to today's scripture? And I hope it's in our hearts to uh, just filled with faith to ask God to help us live out our faith in some manner as this and show me and show me how I can encourage men young and old to mature in their Christ motivated servant leadership. If you had to boil down what, what a God's man is part of that would certainly be servant leadership. And so whether you're, male or female, young or old, that as a church, and this was the same call last week, that all of us would be encouraging women, young and old, to find their beauty in Christ. And so today, to, one way to work out this faith is, is the good work of how can I practically encourage men, young and old, whether I'm a male or female, to encourage men to mature in their Christ-motivated servant leadership. And so I want to ask uh, for the rest of today, uh, how are Christian husbands meant to serve and lead? I want to show you a picture, I think, what Peter is painting for us, uh, and to draw out four aspects of it, um, and really that we're meant to be the lead, and in four specific ways, to be the lead suffering Christ adorer or worshiper, to be the lead wife understander, that's a real English word. I double-checked. The leaf wife understander, someone who understands the wife. The lead glory wife encourager. And the lead spiritual farmer. That's a metaphor, and, and I'll explain what I mean by that when we get to it. So these principles, they're, remember, it's, it's not just for married folk, I do believe there are principles behind these, even though Peter is specifically addressing husbands, and for the rest of the sermon, I, I will, just in the spirit of Peter, address husbands, but please listen with the heart of a student, whether male or female, and try to hear the principle in all these things, and so especially if you're a single male, you can still live out these principles in your circles of influence, and certainly grow in them and mature them even before you get married and be ready to live these out when you're married. And women, to think, how can I encourage men, young and old, to continue to grow in these things? So let's dive in. How are Christian husbands 
men to servant lead. And so first, men were meant to be the lead suffering Christ worshiper, suffering Christ adorer. Okay? We're meant to model and catalyze a sincere worship of our suffering Savior. We're to follow in his footsteps of sacrificing for God's greater good because we see that he's done that. Jesus has done that. He's laid down his life so that we can be saved and God can have a people to himself for God's greater good and model this in our circles of influence, especially starting with our families. But this attitude, as we saw from the past several weeks, it's the same rationale, the same motivation and principle in our relationship to society and government that generates the the commendable attitude as we approach work, excuse me, and certainly in our family lives and marriages, no less. And so in this way, we're to start in the same place that we did last week in addressing women. The motivation to live out a godly husbandhood is the same motivation for wives to live out a godly wifehood, which is the same motivation for how we relate to the government and how we get our commendable attitude toward work. And so we see it in this simple, likewise. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And so do you see it? I hope you see it. It's it's clear. Peter makes it very simple and plain. Likewise. And likewise hearkens us back to verses 21 to 23. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I love that beautiful, simple picture of the Christian life where Jesus has walked and how he has lived and laid down his life. We're to follow in that. And so husbands, likewise. Peter's point is that both husband and wife need the likewise. They both need to follow in Jesus's footsteps of sacrificing for God's greater good. Now, in our modern day and time, in our culture, especially living in Toronto, Canada, when the notion of self-sacrifice falls upon our current culture's ears, uh, we cringe. We think that self-sacrifice is a bygone value of our parents' wartime generation. Present culture single-sidedly idolizes self-fulfillment. When it comes especially to marriage, approach and dating and so forth, I want to meet someone who fits, who fits like a puzzle piece or, or to, to help me in helping me achieve my greatest happiness. On one hand, if we tease it out, it's not all wrong to, to value that, to consider that when you're thinking of marriage. But, but differently, as one Christian thinker puts it, the Christian teaching it doesn't offer, it doesn't polarize self-fulfillment versus self-sacrifice. It doesn't offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather, and this is Peter's point, likewise to both the husband and wife, it's supposed to be mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice as we both follow Jesus's example. But that said, even though both likewises are modeled after Jesus' very own giving up of himself, the point is that the husband is meant to be the lead in that. 
lead, to be the first domino that falls, to be the one who is prioritizing, to, to really lead in that, to remind the family. Not that the wife has no role in that, but certainly the husband should take it upon himself to have the attitude, okay, God, I understand this is part of my job description as a husband, to lead in this. And so from my own personal devotion to just getting the family together, to just modeling this, to talking to my kids about it, that I would lead in that. And this is all doable, possible. It's, it's made even in some sense easier. It feels more natural when you're rooted in Christ and what he's done for us. As the thinker I referred to earlier continues, Jesus gave himself up. He died to himself to save us and make us his. Now, therefore, we give ourselves up. We die to ourselves. We first repent and believe the gospel. And then later, through the day-to-day, not just when we became saved, but for our whole life now. Day-to-day, we submit to God's will day by day. So husbands are to lead into that, to be the lead, suffering Christ, worshiper, and adore. Well, next, how are Christian husbands meant to servant lead? They're to be the lead wife understander. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It gets very practical. One way for you to very practically lead as a suffering Christ adorer, a suffering Christ worshiper. This is what it'll look like. First, let me show you where I see the call for husbands to be lead wife listeners, wife understanders. And Peter makes it very simple, very plain. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. We'll we'll get into that, what that means. But here, first, I want you to notice, live with in an understanding way. Plain as day. That's where we're seeing the husband to be a lead wife understander. Live with in the Greek literally means dwell together. It has that notion of everyday common meaning, common tasks, mundane things, doing everyday life together with someone. But it also has a deeper layer in the right context. The same word also means it's a more intimate meaning used to describe when a husband and wife lay together. Thinking of both meanings then, it's appropriate that Peter calls husbands to dwell together with understanding. Meaning, if you're going to live and be with someone every day, you certainly need understanding. All the more if you're going to have a genuine, healthy, physically intimate relationship with your spouse, it certainly helps to have physical intimacy as an overflow, a beautiful overflow and extension of a deep emotional intimacy, a deep understanding of one another. Understanding one another deeply is ultimately what builds healthy, genuine intimacy. And so on the receiving end, when you feel understood by someone, that's when you feel closer to that person. And on the giving end, when you feel you understand the person you want to understand, you feel closer to that person. 
And it's a beautiful thing when someone feels understood and when you understand that person you want to understand, and especially when that person is your beloved spouse. So that said, I've found in life that there are four general ways, but important ways that wives long to be understood. And this comes from over the past 24 years of pastoral ministry and from personal experience, 16 years of, of marriage. And so in no particular order, because it's different for different women, but certainly at times wives, they want to be understood by being heard. They feel understood if they are heard. Have a husband understand her emotions, her logic, to give effort in sympathizing, empathizing, to take the time to actually listen, process, ask questions, articulate back to the wife what she is sharing. And so husbands, if you need help in this area, first, I would say, make this a priority. But if you need help with utmost sincerity and seriousness, I commend to you this simple template. It's worked in times I've offered counsel. It's worked in my own marriage. And the simple template is, do you feel or think blank? That's what you're trying to discern. If you can even reduce it to one word, one emotion, do you feel or think blank because blank? And that's the reason why. And as you repeat this simple template, there will be clear feedback. Yes, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking, or that's what I'm feeling. Or no, that's, that's not it. There'll be clear feedback, or kind of. And then you just keep working at it to help her feel understood. Peter's calling husbands to live in an understanding way. But also at times, wives want to be understood, and they feel understood by being helped, very practically helped. If a husband truly understands what the wife needs, what is stressing her, tiring her, then he'll look for ways to practically help. Talking about the, the, just the, 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 the dirty chores and just the mundane tasks and the to-do lists. And if we're not good at, you know, reading minds and so forth, then to just sincerely and compassionately ask, how can I help? Make it a daily habit to check in with the question, is there something I can help you with? Uh, trust me, it, it goes a long way. Just a simple question. And she'll feel understood. And wives, there needs to be some grace here. We're, we're not mind readers. We're not the Holy Spirit. And so if you see, see that sincere heart, to at least try to ask, how can I help? Yeah, be, be gracious with us and see our heart and, and help us help. Next, at times, wives want to be understood by being innocently, affectionately held. Okay, and I say innocently and in an unadulterated manner, an innocent embrace without ulterior motives. Because being held, that kind of embrace, it communicates acceptance. And acceptance is another way to communicate that you understand a person. And so I commend that to you. And just one more. At times, wives want to feel understood. They'll feel understood by being confident that next to Christ, that she is number one in your heart. 
beyond whatever other priorities, hobbies, work, even the children, that she is number one in your heart. Now, what's encouraging and gives us confidence is that the Apostle Paul communicates the same idea in different words in a complementary fashion to Peter's teaching in Ephesians 5. Peter, Paul says, husbands, very simply, he summarizes the whole teaching, the mystery of Christ in the church and marriage, and that the husband is to be like Christ and the wife is like the church. And he summarizes it with this beautiful, simple statement, husbands, love your wives. Meaning, very simply put, and this, I love that, that God has just created us very simple in this way. It, it can be simple if we just follow God's ways. It's like wives have a love fuel tank and husbands have a respect tank because Paul also continues wives respect your husbands but focusing on husbands responsibility towards wives husbands are to fill that love tank up regularly and so husbands do you live with your wives in an understanding way and so just make I mean maybe think back how have I been doing in that just whatever the past while has been, make a commitment in your heart uh, before God in your heart, asking him humbly for help. Help me, help me to live with my wife in this kind of understanding way to do my part to fill up her love tank. Well, moving on, husbands are also meant to be the lead glory wife adorer. We're meant to servant lead in this way. This is an act of service, and we're meant to make this a priority and to lead in this and to be a glory wife adorer. What do we mean by that? Meaning, husbands are to see their wives through God's redemptive eyes. Wives had the same call last week to see their husbands. So this is just a a complimentary call to husbands now but to lead in this, to not wait to be complimented first or respected first, but to lead in this because Christ, you you know how Christ sees you, that you would lead in communicating, praying about, and just seeing your wife through God's redemptive eyes. Husbands are to see who God is maturing his wife into, her glory self, as some theologians say. In another place in scripture, I love how Paul says this wonderful, powerful promise, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. What hope, what vision of who we are becoming in Christ by his grace. What glorious motivation to encourage one another and see each other for who we will finally be when Christ perfects us on the, based on the merit, the fact that God is doing this. God is working in your wife's life. And so see her through his eyes and ask God how you can be a part of what he's doing and how he's, what, whatever work he's doing to carry on to completion in her heart and life. Peter, he says, he gives this exact message in in this simple one verse. 
It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, if you're paying attention, I, I'm sure on hearing that, feels like an oxymoron, huh? Showing honor, but now Peter refers to wives as weaker? What's up with that? We'll, un, we'll explain that. We'll unpack, unpack that. But let's begin with the words, showing honor to the woman. Showing honor to the woman. When Peter says showing honor to the woman, he's saying what I have been saying about this point, to see the wife as her glory self and for what God is doing. And what he's saying is, give them the value and worth with which God sees them. With which what God has placed on them by merit of Christ being in their hearts. Christ's beauty, Christ's righteousness covering them. Give them that same value and worth with which God sees them. Not your standards, not your to-do list that hasn't been finished, not comparing to other husbands or men and so forth, but as God sees them. Now, to put the word honor into perspective, this is a powerful word. Look how Paul uses the same word in Romans 2, verses 6 to 7. He will render, God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory. That's a beautiful, eternal idea. And honor, that's the same word that Peter's using, and immortality. So what I want to show you is that this, this word honor, as the New Testament uses it, it's a powerful word. It's a beautiful word. The word honor is in good company here. That's how highly you're meant to look at your wife through God's eyes. Now, when Peter refers to wives as the weaker vessel, again, the emphasis here that Peter, Peter is through and through trying to emphasize the honor of the wife. And so even the word vessel, first, let's focus on the word vessel before we think about weaker. Vessel is, a, is, a, is an instrument. It's a usable, good instrument or tool, something that has value and worth. Now, why is it described as weaker? I tend to agree with the, the commentators and thinkers that understand the fact that Peter was very much in tune with uh, just the, the male-female culture at the time, meaning women during his time acknowledging that women during his time societally were so disadvantaged. Their rights and their independence were sorely stunted during Peter's time. And we know all the more through Jesus's life and ministry, just that he turned the value and worth of a woman on its head. He was radical in how he gave worth and value and attention and place to women and God uh, in his grand plan, just even looking to women as key witnesses for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible through and through, by grace, what the gospel does is it, it restores women to the highest possible worth and esteem that one could ever place on a woman through Christ. And so when Peter says the weaker vessel He's saying, men, all the more, you're supposed to be countercultural now. You don't treat women as the culture does. You treat women 
as God does in Christ. And you treat your wife and you see her the way he sees her. And you build her up. Even as she submits to you and you grow and mature into your part as head and Christ-like servant leader, you're building her up to become everything she's meant to be in Christ. That's the beautiful, radical, transforming nature of the gospel. And so Peter is radically and uh, counterculturally reminding Christian men to see their wives as God preciously and redemptively sees them with esteem. And to make no confusion about it, Peter reminds how God sees his daughters of faith since they are heirs with you, co-equal heirs of the grace of life, co-equal heirs of God's inheritance in Christ. And so in terms of identity and worth, you can't get more beautiful and precious than that. But finally, Peter ends with a warning. How are Christian husbands meant to servant lead? We're also meant to be lead spiritual farmers. Again, that's a metaphor. And so what I concretely mean, straightforwardly mean, what I think Peter means and how I understand him, and I, I think uh, it's right for all of us to understand him this way, is that he's calling men to lead in prayer, to lead the way in prayer. We're to be lead prayer warriors, but calling it a spiritual fire, I want you to have that uh, just mental picture, that, that metaphor in your mind, because prayer is like farming. We're to persevere in the seasonal hard work and rhythms of praying through all of life's circumstances, trustingly and patiently waiting on God's wise ways to unfold. Now, Peter makes it crystal clear that we're to be praying because when he goes through his exhortation to husbands, then at the end, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So he's assuming that we're praying, but then he has this warning, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, do you feel maybe perhaps a bit of a distance from God? Do you feel a wall between you and him? Peter's warning here, and something we have to check as we look in the spiritual mirror, is how we've been relating to our wives. Peter's stark warning is that our prayers can indeed be hindered, be unheard. Peter assumes that men especially are praying, praying for your wife, your children, yourself, God's wisdom to navigate all of life, your finances, your work, for the fruitfulness of Christian mission, for the Spirit's work, especially in the hearts of those who haven't placed faith in Christ yet, and on and on and on. The, the prayer list is literally and truly endless. But all these prayers in line with Scripture, they will mean nothing to some degree if your relationship with your wife is not right in, in some way. That's Peter's warning. His warning is that our prayers can be unheard by God. They can fall on deafly divine ears. And so what's going on here? What are we to understand? How, how are we supposed to learn from this warning and to live out the opposite? I think it's a similar principle to what Jesus teaches in his Lord's Prayer. And so... 
as we turn to, uh, do I have it here? Matthew 6, verse 12. Jesus teaches in his Lord's Prayer, and forgive us, do you remember this part? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I was always a bit confused by this part, but there's, there's, the more I understand it, there's truth to this and how God hears our prayers. Because even here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, look, God will forgive if you first, as we also, meaning you first, have forgiven those you need to forgive. What's Jesus teaching us? And I think it's a similar principle as what Paul is trying to teach us about husband's prayers. I think the point is that Peter is teaching us, just as Jesus is, through this notion of forgiveness, that unless we treat our wives as God has treated us, unless we see our wives through the lens of grace as God sees us and them, then why should we expect God to continue to extend the grace of answered prayers if we hypocritically withhold the same grace to our wives? We do things to cast aside and disdain the grace we've been shown by withholding it from others. And it proves that you have not understood the gospel. And that's Jesus' point. You can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive. But then after you're forgiven, if you continue to live a life of unforgiveness, then it shows that you are just asking selfishly and you don't really understand how deeply, how radically, how fully, how thoroughly, how from east to west, God has removed sin's dream and shown you a a lavish love and grace and you're disdaining it. You're taking it for granted and casting it aside and Peter, I think, is saying a similar thing, a similar dynamic, that if you can't love your wives the way Christ has loved you and he loves them, then you don't understand the gospel. And so don't be surprised if your prayers are hindered. God stops hearing. Because God wants to see that our faith leads to works, good works. And so husbands, Bring it down to earth. How you treat your wife is one of the most important tests of your faith. How you relate to your wife is one of the greatest expressions of faith in Christ by this God-defined good work in how you're meant to relate to her and live with her in an understanding way. But also, There's a complimentary call here to wives. How you relate to your husband is one of the most important tests of your faith. How you relate to your husband is one of the greatest expressions of faith through a similarly God-defined good work. And so as we end, just want to simply offer to you again Peter's words here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, meaning see her as God sees her in spite of how culture wants to define her, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to rejoice, to worship Jesus 
and just the wonderful work of redemption and in, in very one specific way how he's redeemed manhood and show us how we can encourage men, young and old, in our church to disciple men, young and old, to mature in their Christ-motivated servant leadership. Lord, use our church to restore your image of man, of male. And use us, Lord, to that we just be a, a wonderful, just gentle, but clear, um, just proclamation of, of this goodness that is a part of, of just the wonderful benefit of, of following Jesus, believing in your grace. To help us to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.